welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now today's message. My name is Pastor Chris. Um, it's my pleasure this morning to introduce you to Chris Eads. Some of y'all know Chris. If you've been around Covenant very long, you've seen Chris up here on stage. If you've been around a really long time, Chris was the interim pastor before Joel came. Chris is now pastor at Mount Hope Church in Ashburn, Virginia. And he is coming today. Uh, I told him I was going to introduce him as the other Chris. He suggested the better looking Chris. Y'all be the judge of that, but Chris, come on up and bless us with what God has to say for you today. Well, nothing like starting a teaching with dishonesty, that he really is the better looking Chris, am I right? Oh, friends, it is so good to be back with you here at, uh, at Covenant Church. Like, uh, like Chris said, I think it was seven or eight years ago that I was able to serve for about a year as your interim pastor while we were on the hunt for Joel. And I've told folks that that year with you was unquestionably the greatest and most enjoyable and most um, transformational ministry assignment I've had in my 35 years of full-time ministry. You guys were such a rich and warm and, and really, for my life, even a transformational congregation. So it is so good to be with you guys. Now, unfortunately... You have been one-upped in the last 20 months. As, we, as my wife Sherry and I have been serving as pastor at uh, Mount Hope Church in Ashburn, we're falling in love with this little community that uh, when we got there, just about 35 folks, and it's grown three, four times since, and just amazing momentum that God is doing in, in Ashburn. So uh, sorry, you guys are now are second place in my journey. So, <laughs> I'd like to share with you this morning some thoughts from the summer teaching series that we're doing at Mount Hope, and it's, we're, we're calling it Shalom. Everything that matters. See, if we were a Jewish congregation, we would begin uh, and say it probably several times in the course of the service. We would say, Shalom, right? And that was, it's a greeting. And the Jewish folks have a greeting. They would say to one another, Ma Shalomka, how is your Shalom? You and I say, What's up, right? But they say, Ma Shalomka, how, we think of it as, How are you doing? But it really is, How is your completeness? See, the Hebrew word shalom means, very loosely translated in English, we would think of it as the word peace. But the problem is, in English, the word peace to us is sort of a, it simply means the absence of conflict. Things are calmed down and settled. But in the Hebrew language, it has a much more profound meaning. It's, it's sort of the fullness of everything that you and I strive for. Health and security and tranquility and welfare and good condition and success and comfort and peace and wholeness and security and happiness and satisfaction. As you look at those words on the screen, friends, isn't that what we strive for in every inch of our life? All of our energy, hour after hour, we spend looking for this kind of wholeness and tranquility and comfort and peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, said, my peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. I don't give you peace the way that you and I are striving to find it in the world. 
You know, all that energy, all that pursuit of money, all that pursuit of success, all that pursuit of relationship. Jesus says, I'm gonna, I will give you peace. I will give you shalom, completeness, wholeness. I will give it to you. But it's not going to be the way you think you'll find it in the world. See, when we have that peace, Jesus says, you don't have to let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to walk in fear. Because everything it is that you're longing for, everything that matters, I will bring it. But you're going to have to go after it my way. Matthew 6, Jesus said that if you will seek first his kingdom, you will pursue first his way. His kingdom means the realm, the domain in which the king gets his way. If you will seek first the way that I want to bring you peace, then you're going to have it. I will give it to you. Friends, I want to suggest to you that Christianity is far more than just a moral proposition. Following Jesus Christ is way, way, way more than just having a set of rules and do's and don'ts and live this way and you'll have a good life. And it's, it's far more than this is sin, this is not sin, so walk in that way. I mean, of course, all that is in the Scripture. God does, in fact, teach us about sin and holiness and righteousness. He does teach us those things. But it is not because Christianity is designed to be a moral proposition that if we just plug in all the right elements and do all the things the right way that out pops this good life. No, Christianity, following Jesus Christ is a holistic relationship. It is relating with God. It is entering into a divine experience, encountering God in reality. And when we do that, when we pursue, when we seek first his kingdom, his way, Jesus promises all these things are added to you. Health and tranquility and prosperity and goodness and good condition. All of this gets added to us when you and I pursue the kingdom of God, which is the way of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So we've been teaching a lot this summer at our church about interacting with God. We, we would loosely call that prayer. That's really what prayer is. Now, the problem for most of us Christians in North America is we approach prayer more as kind of like this list of things that we're asking God for. You know what I'm talking about? You got your little prayer list, all these things that are wrong in your life or wrong in the lives of people that matter to you. And so you make a little prayer list and, you, and, and many of us, we sit down and we're just like, oh, you know, dear Mr. God, here's my set of problems. Can you, can you please do something about it? Can you please fix it? It's almost like God's just a fix-it man, right? And yet prayer is something profoundly different. Because what I think most of us mean when we're coming to God as Mr. Fix-It Man, dear, dear God, can you fix this thing? What, what that really is, is really we're just hoping for something. God, I, I hope you can make this thing better. I hope you can step into my marriage that's got a lot of tension and brokenness. God, I hope that you can take that cancer and you can do something about it that the doctors can't. God, I hope that you can help me pay my bills. Anybody look at your 401k lately? I, I think it's on the rebound, maybe. God, I just hope you, right? It's, and, it's, and it really is for us, it's a wish dream. Hope is a wish dream for so many of us. The Bible calls hope one of the eternals. 1 Corinthians 13 says that faith, hope, and love will be eternal. You've heard the phrase, hope eternal. And I think for a lot of us, what that means is I'm going to keep hoping for eternity, eternally long. I'm hoping this comes to pass, but I don't really know that it will. 
Friends, this might seem like a rabbit trail. It'd be a good talk in and of itself for the young folks, 20-somethings, in our midst, but, but it's going to make sense. Anybody ever heard of Jordan B. Peterson? He's kind of a, he's a, he's a famous psychologist from, he taught at Harvard, he taught at the University of Toronto. He was kind of a no-name, very, very good um, uh, psych- psychological professor in the psychology department. He, he got his mark uh, lately, he, got, he treaded off into politics, which I don't particularly care much about, nor is that my lane of expertise, so I'm not commenting on his political views one way or the other. Uh, but the young people in our country, the 20-somethings in our country, are loving this guy. He's very plain-spoken, and, and apart from the political statements he's making these days, uh, his, he's got this powerful way of communicating uh, core ideologies, core concepts, uh, really biblical concepts. He is an atheist who is on a journey of faith, and when you listen to his talks or watch him, you see this guy is ending up almost on the edge of giving his life to Christ. Now, I was watching one of his videos uh, a few months ago, and it was, it, you know, just popped up on YouTube because yeah, I tend to, you know, YouTube feeds you stuff they've seen you looking at lately. And so this one popped up, and it was, the video, it's a little 12-minute video, and it was entitled, Why You Should Not Live Together Before Marriage. And you say, what does this have to do with this talk? I told you it's a rabbit trail. Hang on. <laughs> It'll make sense. And so it was a talk for young people about, you know, the 20-something crowd, you know, when you're, when you're not married, why you should not live together, Right. And, and the setting was uh, Jordan Peterson and his wife on a stage. It was a stadium filled with young people. And, uh, and, and she was reading him questions that had been texted in live from the audience. And so he's, he's going at this completely unprepared, ad hoc. And, and she asked him the question, you know, somebody in the audience texted in, why, as a young person, should I not live together with my boyfriend or girlfriend before, before marriage? And, you know, and he paused and he thought about it for a second in a very, you know, philosophical, professorly way. And he goes... All right, it makes sense to people in culture that before you get married, you should try it out. He said, you wouldn't buy a car without test driving it first, right? And then he leaned forward and he said, here's the problem. A woman is not a car. You can't test drive marriage. You can't... You can't even fabricate the context of commitment that changes everything. Married folks, am I right? (laughs) There are some parallels to car purchasing, are there not? You buy a brand new car and it smells all beautiful. You're like, this is awesome. And then a year or two later, there's a little squeak in the back of the car that starts driving you crazy. Is that not an image of marriage, married folks? Right? (laughs) I know you love your spouse. Okay, so here's, you say, Chris, wild rabbit trail. Here's the point. You cannot fabricate commitment in marriage. You can't test drive it. You have to get all the way in before you know what it really is. And friends, the same is true of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Interacting with God at a level of faith that is transformative cannot be test driven. You can't test drive faith. Let me just try it out. God, I don't really believe you, but I'm going to utter out a prayer. I'm going I'm to put some trust in you, and I don't really believe you yet. Let me see how it works out. It doesn't work in marriage. It doesn't work in the relationship with God. Friends, you and I cannot test drive faith because faith, the interactivity with God, the trust that God is real, requires that you and I step in with all of our heart. Friends, hope, 
hoping for things, hoping for transformation, hoping for God to bring shalom into our life, hoping that God would bring us comfort and fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and wholeness and completeness. Hoping for that is just a wish dream, and hope is nothing more than a wish dream unless there is something substantive underneath it. Can I say that again? Just hoping for God to bring breakthrough into our life and wholeness and completeness and satisfaction and shalom, all these things that matter to us, hoping that God does this is nothing more than a wish dream unless there is something absolutely substantive underneath it. Let me illustrate it. By the time, about three weeks ago, I lost 30% of my brain cells in two minutes. So I was at the doctor's office. Uh, it was, I was there for that unmentionable cancer screening we're all supposed to do at age 50. And so it was, I was already uncomfortable and hungry and, and grumpy, and we're sitting there, and the doctor was late because the entire doctor's office went out to lunch. <laughs> and I haven't eaten in 30 hours. So you know the mood I'm in, right? And we're sitting, Sherry and I, she's with me, and we're sitting in this little waiting room, and it was, the waiting room was about the size of, I don't know, the first little section of pews here. And they had on the television screen full blast volume, r- uh, sequence after sequence after sequence, rerunning 2000 era, no, your 2000 era TV show, Deal or No Deal. Anybody remember this TV show? It was torturous. I will not spare you the agony of the, 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 the details of the show, but it was a game show uh, back in the early 2000s, and it was, uh, the idea there is that you would have um, a series of boxes that you had to open, and there's ways you went about that, and, and, and you're narrowing your, your odds down to one of these boxes has a million bucks in it, and, and one of the boxes has five dollars in it, and everything in between, and it's, you know, the whole, the whole game, right? So this particular episode we're watching as our brain cells are depleting is this guy got all the way down to the last two boxes, and and what was left on the screen was a million bucks and five bucks. So it was a 50-50 chance he he wins a million dollars. The catch is to get to play that deal, this is why it's called deal or no deal, the banker of NBC would say, would make him an offer, a hard cash offer. You could walk away today guaranteed $300,000, but you can't take your chance. Or you set that aside, and then you can either win a million bucks or five bucks. Is this making sense? All right, so uh, it's at this moment, and of course, they got all the music going, and the stage lights swinging around, and the crowd is electric, and his family is jumping up and down, going, believe, 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 and the, and the, and the game show host, Howie Mandel, he's walking around like a revival preacher, do you believe, right? And he's going all nuts, and, and this guy, this contestant, he's standing there, and he begins, his, his face is so radiant, and he's got tears in his eyes, almost like he's seeing this, the heavens open, and there's the Son of God, and he's crying out, I do believe. You know how it worked out, right? He turns down his $300,000 cold, and I'm thinking, I know what I owe on my mortgage. I'd have taken that at a heartbeat. He turns it down, and he wins his profound $5. And I turned to Sherry, and I said, besides just being thoroughly annoyed, I was actually grieved because I saw this level of faith. I do believe. And there was nothing behind it. No substance. 
Here's a hint. NBC does not give out a million dollars very often. It's not going to happen. Do you all have your Bibles with you? You guys bring Bibles to church? Book of Hebrews, chapter 11. You'll find it towards the end of the New Testament, right before a string of little books, James and First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Revelation. So you're going to the end of the book and just a few pages before it. Hebrews chapter 11. You've heard this verse before if you've been around the church any length of time. You see, friends, hope, hoping that God will intersect with us is nothing more than a wish dream if there's not something substantive below it, something behind it. There's actually a real substance behind what it is we're hoping for. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, reading from the New International Version, that faith is being sure of what we hope for. Did you catch that? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. You and I are living in a realm where the spiritual realities, the spiritual realms are an unseen reality. You don't see God with your physical eyes. But just look at nature, look at reality, look at the inside of your heart. We know it's written upon our hearts that there is a God who is present and who is real, who wants to bring you shalom, everything that matters. And friends, if it's going to be more than a wish dream, more than just a hope, I wish God would do something, then faith must be engaged because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I'm reading from the New International Version. I don't know what you carry here in, in, your, in your hands, but you'll see pop up on the screen, there's different translations of this. The New International says faith is being sure of what we hope for. New American Standard Translation reads that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The New King James Version reads that now faith is the substance of things for, uh, hope for the evidence of things not seen. So it's faith is being sure, being assured. It's the substance of what's hoped for. And I say, why, why different, different words in the, in the English translations? Well, you might know the Bible was not written in English, right? You, you knew that in the Old Testament, it's written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. As God, the Holy Spirit, inspired these writers, anointed them with words of truth for you and I. And in, in the New Testament era, they're, they're writing Greek. That was their language. And the Holy Spirit led the writer of Hebrews to use this word, a Greek word, that there is not a good English parallel to it. So our English translators in different um, Bible versions have tried to come at this word and, and, and put it in a single word for you and I because it's a word that doesn't have an immediate parallel in English. It's the Greek word hypostasis. And, and hypo is a prefix that means underneath. Stasis well, we have an English word, stasis. It comes from the same thing. It's the English word uh, that means equilibrium or balance. It is, in other words, it is stability where no change will occur. The medical field often uses this word. Stasis is a condition that there is not going to be a change that happens. So when you think of it this way, hupo, meaning under or beneath, uh, beneath the change, beneath the stability where there will be no change. In other words, the understability... It is the foundation, the subsistence. It is the existence, the firm, constant, constancy, uh, confidence that what is actually has something underneath it. That's what faith is. When you and, I, you and I understand that the Word of God offers the promise of shalom, completeness, 
wholeness, goodness, satisfaction, transformation in your life, what loosely we might call peace, but so much greater than that. The word of God promises that to us. But it is not just a hope, not just a wish dream, not just a hope eternal. I'm going to keep hoping and keep hoping and I'm never going to see it. No, when you and I step forward into communication with God in faith, when you and I step forward with all of our heart in faith, the scriptures tell us that faith becomes the hypostasis, the understability to everything that you and I hope for. Two thoughts come to mind. First is this, that faith, I'm going to use the word faith, faith improperly understood still seems like a fabricated wish dream, doesn't it? You have any non-believing friends who hear you go to church on Sunday mornings, hear that you believe in a resurrected Jesus, who hear that you interact with God, and, and they look at you and they kind of, <laughs> isn't that cute? You got yourself an imaginary friend, don't you? My grandmother was a pastor's wife. I didn't get saved. I didn't become a Christian until I was in my teenage years, and she was in her 80s. And she was a pastor's wife, but so filled with humanistic bitterness that when I was telling her as a young, vibrant, enthusiastic, 16-year-old Jesus freak, she looks at me and she goes, you actually think God talks back to you? And she snarked. See, friends, faith, when improperly understood, faith can just seem like a wish dream. Like, I hope, I hope God's for real. I hope he's there. I don't really know. I pray. Because, gee, it would be a really good deal if he was, right? but I don't really know. See, friends, that's faith improperly understood. But the second thought is this, that real faith is a choice, it's a decision, to settle down on a foundational reality when I'm presented with proper evidence. Real faith is a settling down. The book of Isaiah talks about putting our trust on the Lord. And it's a, it's a Hebrew word that means to put all your weight down upon it, like I'm doing on this stool right now that you think I might fall off of in a minute. It's to put your trust, to put your weight down on something. Friends, that is what real faith is, that I settle down on this evidence. Let me illustrate it this way. Those of you who remember me being with you guys uh, seven, eight years ago, you remember back then I was working full-time in the aviation industry, and, and, and y'all were my uh, labor of love that on the weekends come and, and, and share uh, the scriptures with you. And in the aviation industry, there's this, there is a form of aviating that's called parachuting or skydiving. Now, understand this. I believe in parachutes. I understand how they work. You know, the guy jumps out of the airplane, and he's now falling towards the earth at terminal velocity. They call it terminal velocity for a reason, by the way. 
He jumps out of the airplane and is going at terminal velocity. The parachute opens up and the big canopy opens and, it, and the friction that's created by that big canopy is, is, is slows him down uh, to a survivable descent rate and more importantly, a, dis, a survivable impact rate. I believe in how that works, don't you? I understand the physics behind it and say, okay, that makes sense, I believe it. I will never put my faith in a parachute. Do you understand the difference? James chapter 2 verse 19 says that even the, it says you believe in God, you believe in God good. Even the devil believes in God and he trembles in fear. It's doing him no good to believe in God. But to put your faith on something is to settle down upon the foundational truth. In other words, the parachute jumper, when he jumps out of the airplane and he's now going, it's like, well, okay, it's settled now. We're going down and either this is going to work or it's not going to work. And I would never put my faith in a parachute. I would never settle down upon the foundational reality of a parachute because the evidence tells me, working in the aviation industry, that they scrape a lot of those guys off the ground. And so I'm not going to do it. But when presented with proper evidence, then I will settle my weight down upon the truth. Friends, faith is the substance of things that we hope for. It is the hypostasis. It is the understability to everything we long for, everything that matters to us. Faith is that. But also, did you notice the rest of that verse says it is the evidence of things that are not seen? It'll pop up on the screen, the three different ways it could be translated. NIV says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance, New American Standard, assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. New King James, it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. And again, you say, why, why the different language here? Well, the Greek word here in this, in this particular moment, it's actually a legal term. It is a legal term that speaks of the charge that would stand as the basis for a conviction. Someone gets arrested, uh, the, the arresting officer or the district attorney has said, there's enough evidence here to put this person in jail. We are convinced this person will be convicted. And so they make the arrest. But also that legal term in the Greek language, it also speaks of the actual manifest truth that is the grounds for that conviction, the actual thing that is there. See, friends, real faith is settling down upon a foundational reality based on evidence, and the evidence itself is the actual manifest truth that brings that conviction to pass. Do you understand? So you say, well, Chris, I need some evidence. I need that evidence to put my faith in Jesus Christ, to put my faith in the shalom that God wants to bring me, and I am so glad you asked for that. You in Hebrews 11? Go over to Hebrews chapter 1. Just a few pages to the left. Hebrews chapter 1. We read it at the beginning of service. I'm reading here from the New, New International Version. That in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times, various ways. But... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Anybody know who that is? This is a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus, right? In the last days, 
these days, God has been speaking to us by Jesus Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things. And oh, by the way, through whom he made the universe. The Son, verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Hang on to that phrase right there. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, here's what's important. This verse 3 is, is loaded with theology on the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't have time to get into it, but let me, let me simplistically demonstrate what that means. You know, there's, there is only one God in the universe. It is one God in three different expressions. The Father is the, the eternal uh, presence of God that we think of, the, 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 the God who most of us are praying to. Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus took on natural human form, God took on that natural form so he could be among us and live among us, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, life to life. And the Holy Spirit is the, is the aspect of God who interacts and moves among us and speaks to us and leads us and guides us. That's the, the doctrine of the Trinity, another sermon for another day. But what's important about that to understand, remember, faith is the hypostasis, the understability, that which will not change. It is the evidence, the manifest truth that leads to conviction of truth. The manifest truth is the evidence that we put our, 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 our weight down upon. We put our trust down upon. That is what faith is. And you say, well, give me the evidence. And here it is right here. It's Jesus Christ. When, when the scripture here in Hebrews 1 says that uh, that he is the exact representation of God's being. Do you know what the Greek word there is? Anybody want to guess? Hupostasis. He is the understability of God's very existence, is Jesus Christ. Friends, you want to know how do I put my hope down upon God? How do I jump out of the airplane? With all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's no turning back. It's settled. There is going to be no change. I'm going down. I'm all the way in. You want to put yourself down upon? Give me the evidence, Chris. Give me the evidence that I can trust him. Friends, it's the person and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and three days later raised from the dead. That doesn't happen in natural realms. That doesn't happen just by chance. Jesus Christ is the hypostasis, the understability, the foundation of God's very existence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is your evidence. I won't jump out of an airplane with a parachute on. I believe in it, but I won't put my faith in it because I've seen the evidence that it doesn't work all the time. But Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus, is the evidence that God himself has visited us. He is present. And Jesus said, my shalom, my wholeness, my completeness, I will give to you. Not like the world does, not in all the ways that you and I chase after it. If you'll go after me in the way that God intends, you'll pursue and seek first my kingdom. Put your priority first. Put your weight down upon 
put your faith upon the understability of God's existence. That's Jesus Christ. You do that, and there is awaiting you and I a life filled with abundance and with shalom. Now, friends, I don't mean to brag, but that's some pretty good theology this morning. And I can say that because I didn't come up with it. The Word of God did. So you say, all right, Chris, thanks for the theology lesson. So what? What am I supposed to do with this? Four things. Number one, understand that faith is the foundation, the understability of hope. Faith is that putting my weight down upon that which I hope for in Jesus Christ. The second thing we do with it is to recognize that faith is in Jesus, not you. Now, you might say, well, well duh, no, but hang on. Do we put faith in our faith that I believe enough? That when I pray, I'm believing well enough. Well, Jesus said, all the faith you need is the size of a mustard seed, grain of a mustard seed, the smallest seed known to man. It's 0.039 inches in size. That's relatively small. So Jesus said, your faith can be tiny, 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 tiny. That, it's not about your faith. Faith is the substance. It is Jesus Christ, the hypostasis. Your faith is Jesus. Now, you look at yourself and say, I don't know if I believe well enough in this stuff. Okay, Jesus said, who cares? Tiny little seed, that's good enough. Is your faith in you or is it in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus capable of bringing peace and joy and victory into your life? Is Jesus capable of wholeness and completeness in your journey? That's where your faith is. So the third thought here is that proper faith, proper faith versus the wish dream version of faith, is built on the Word of God, the trustworthy revelation of the identity of Jesus Christ. It's saying that Jesus, the exact representation, the hypostasis, the understability of God's very existence, and I'm going to put my trust down upon him. Well, the only way you and I can do that is with the proper evidence, and the evidence is the resurrection of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word and the very words of Jesus. Do you remember reading it there in Hebrews uh, chapter 1 where his, he sustains everything by, the, by his powerful Word? Real faith is built on the trustworthy revelation of his Word, the Scriptures. So how do I build that faith? I'm so glad you asked. You might have had to move it to sit down. There was a little handout on your, on your, on your chair. Grab it, would you? You guys that are online, uh, I'm new around here, so I don't know where it's going to be online, but I'm sure it's online somewhere. Uh, Dave, is there a link they can go to on that? Tomorrow. We're going to put the link up tomorrow or send you tomorrow. There's a little handout that you're going to want to get, a little PDF that uh, uh, Dave and I will figure out how that's going to get to you guys that are with us online. All right, so in this little handout, uh, what you're going to find, just open it up. You're going to find a bunch of verses about the foundation that is Jesus Christ. There's passage after passage after passage. I think there's maybe 20-some verses here on the inside and on the back that are, are Jesus' words and the words of the apostles about Jesus Christ. So, friends, you want to build faith? You want to build your faith, the hypostasis, the understability to everything that you hope for? Well, this is how you go about it. Let me demonstrate. 
So just pulled out. These are verses about the power and the authority of Jesus Christ that is his and he's given to us. If you just look at the top there, Matthew 28, all authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore, go and make disciples, and, and then you go and baptize. I am always with you. Matthew 10, he says, he called us 12 disciples. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal disease and sickness. And as they went out, the, the 12 were excited about this. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Colossians 2 says that Christ is the fullness of the deity in bodily form. You, you, you have been given fullness in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, 6, that God raised us up. He raised you up with Christ, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the right hand of the king is the, is the, is the chief of staff, the one who gets the king's will done. And so Jesus has given this to you. So here, here's what I want to illustrate for you. Uh, you take these verses and you meditate on them day after day after day, and you pray over them. When I was a young man in my 20s, going to college in, in northern Indiana, and there was a little, little town down the road from college, and it was called Gas City, Indiana. You can imagine what a 20-year-old does with the name of that town. And so I would go to the city park, and there was a little fisherman's trail along the river in there, and nobody was ever back there. And I would go back in the woods, and I, would, I wouldn't have a handout like this. I would have a little copy of the New Testament, thing, one that I'd marked up. And hour after hour, I would walk in that woods and pace back and forth, and I would just be reading these scriptures and praying them out. Oh, Jesus, thank you for giving me authority over the spiritual realm. Oh, Jesus, I worship that you were the fullness of God in bodily form, that you've been given, and I have been given fullness in Christ. God, I worship you for that. God, I recognize, I acknowledge by faith, I believe that you have raised me up and seated me with you. And so God, uh, stir my faith. God, I accept and receive your authority. Back and forth in this woods, I would walk and pray these scriptures out over myself and over the, the circumstances in my life. Friends, that is very different than praying, dear Mr. God, here's my list of things I need you to fix. No, not even any of that. Like, God, God here's who you are. Here's who I am in you, and I worship you, and I pour my heart out to you, and I give you my heart, God. Surrender myself to you. God, would you be that stability in my life? Various ways, I would pray it over and over and over again. And in that process, as a 19, 20, 21-year-old young man, in that process, God is forging in me an unmistakable, irreversible faith that I am now ready to jump out of the airplane, so to speak, and put my weight down upon. It's settled. There's no turning back. I am a follower, an empowered, anointed follower of Jesus Christ, and he is able to do what Jesus does, not because of my faith, because of him, because of who he is, but I'm putting my weight down upon him because I've been in the word, memorizing it, soaking in it, um, dwelling in his word. So you want to try it? How many of you keep your calendar on your phone? Let me see your hands. Keep your calendar on. All right, get your phone out right now. Get it out. I'm serious. Don't be non-compliant here. Get your phone out. Get your calendar open. And look at your calendar. And right now, put in your calendar 15 minutes each day. You pick the slot. Outlook, Google Calendar, whatever it is you're using. Pick the slot and say, here's where I will take this handout this week and I will pray these verses. I would challenge you, it would take you 15 minutes 
or so to go over every one of these verses, all 20 of them, every single day. Pick a spot, get alone, whether it be at a city park or in the woods or a quiet room in your house away from the rest of your family, wherever it is, maybe in your car. Uh, my wife and I uh, go separate ways every morning. Go get, you know, she gets uh, Starbucks, I get Dunkin'. We're competitors. And we go to our little spots in our cars, and, and, and this is where we do this for about, an, you know, in our case, we spend about an hour every morning uh, seeking the Lord this way. You could do this 15 minutes. You could do it 20 minutes, whatever it is. Just over and over again, putting your faith down upon the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Oh, let me tell you, friends, I taught this three weeks ago at our church, Mount Hope, and we got a brand new believer in our congregation, a fellow by the name of Amit, who's been following Jesus for just a few months, just baptized him two or three months ago, and he comes down after service. He's so giddy. He shows me his phone. He goes, look, right here, right here. I Time with Jesus, 7 a.m. every single day. He'd already loaded it in your phone, and I hope you've done the same thing here this morning. Worship team, elders. As we seek the face of God this morning in these closing thoughts, we're going to pray to the Lord through song. God, speak life. Speak life. We're praying through worship in just a moment. Is God, speak shalom. Speak wholeness and completeness and healing and victory transformation, goodness. God, speak this into my being because I believe you. I trust you. I put my weight down upon the evidence that God has been among us in the person of Jesus Christ and that God is here right now in the person of the Holy Spirit. God, the evidence the word of God, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his authority delegated to me, I will put my weight down upon that. Lord God, come. God, come and speak life into this place in the name of Jesus Christ. Speak life into our hearts. Speak shalom, the wholeness of everything that matters. Oh God, do it in this place. Do it now, we ask. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.